2: Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. This is Rob McConnell, and I am talking to you from our Exxon Broadcast Center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Mutual Broadcast Network, the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, and the all-new IPBN Radio Network. If you'd like to send an email, Exxon at TV.com on all social media sites, exoneradio.tv, and our main radio website where you can listen to the Exxon, 724-365, as well as past shows, uh, things that we've done in the past, what we're doing today, and what we hope to be doing tomorrow. And Once again, that's www.exoneradio.com. My guest this hour, Exonation, is Kevin Randall. He is well-known worldwide as an honest, hip-shooting UFO researcher. He is also uh, an author, and he has a new book coming out in the very near future, entitled Roswell in the 21st Century. His blogspot is kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and joining me tonight to talk about, amongst other things, the Travis Walton abduction case and uh, Kevin, always great talking to you, my friend.
0: I am happy to be back in Canada.
2: Listen, Kevin, uh, Travis Walton case, one of the most confusing cases going. It has a number of pros, a number of cons, a number of believers, a number of non-believers, UFO community against UFO community, skeptic against skeptic. What is your take? I, I know that you've written a blog on the on the uh, Travis Walton case, but what is your take on the entire case that goes back to November the 5th, 1975?
0: 20 years ago, Russ Estes, Bill Cohn, and I did a book called The Abduction, uh, Abduction Enigma, and for mm-hmm. some reason I can't say that. <laughs> we had a much better title for it that I could have said easily. And we explored the whole abduction phenomenon at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, I've always felt that this was my first attempt to commit ufological suicide, simply because there were a lot of people who were outraged by the book, because we were suggesting terrestrial explanations for abductions, and this the whole the whole bunch of them from mm-hmm. from from v. Boas in 1957 through uh, Barney and Betty Hill and through uh, uh, Travis Walton and into the Nonsense we have now, where people being abducted multiple times and all of that. And at the, in, in the book, we suggested that abductions all had a terrestrial basis. There was some a, a variety of phenomenon that were sort of responsible for the abductions. One of the things we pointed out was a phenomenon known as sleep paralysis, right. where you um, wake up. Mm -hmm. Or just as you're going to sleep, you have this feeling of paralysis. You can't move. You feel there's something on your chest. You feel there's an entity in the room with you. I mean, this classic sleep paralysis. And I think that some or maybe many uh, uh, abduction scenarios are are based on this sleep paralysis. About 50% of the people uh, experience an episode of sleep paralysis at least once in their lives. When you get to Walt they're outside, they're awake, they're moving across the country, they're seeing something in the distance. Obviously, sleep paralysis doesn't work for them. Right. I have talked to Travis Walton, I've talked to Mike Rogers, I've talked to one or two of the other members who were of the crew that that night. Mm -hmm. And what I said to Walton was that if alien abduction was real, his experience as this sort of uh, target of opportunity would be more likely than what we get in today with all the uh, multiple abductions of, of one or two people. Uh, I do know that in the uh, the first lie detector test that he took, he failed. Now, Travis has said repeatedly that it was because he had a uh, reaction to the uh, polygraph. There was a problem between him and the fellow who... Uh, yeah, appar- apparently,
2: that, that was that McCarthy?
0: I believe so, yes.
2: yes. And, and, you know, uh, he did have a problem because I don't think um, McCarthy, unlike Cy Gilson, you know, didn't believe Uh, Travis to start with listen you and I have got to take a commercial break we'll be right back XO Nation my guest this hour is Kevin Randall www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com he has a brand new book coming out Roswell in the 21st century and we'll talk about that and more on the other side of this break don't go away
1: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save.
3: Well, I just got back from Roswell, where the aliens have been. And if you ask the feds, the cause, well, they'll only lie again. Now I'm hunted by the gumshoes And I'm wanted by the cops Cause they think that I might be the guy Making circles in the crops And I know that there's a conspiracy From the voices in my head Elvis lives, that's clear to me It's McCartney who is dead And if the Mars man should come again And take me, I will go I will take a trip on their rocket ship. God bless the UFO. Give JFK this message. It's the Cuban Army's fault. And I know that Dave Koresh is alive inside a vault. We've seen reports in papers of a guy who knows about A car that runs on chewing gum, but the Arabs rubbed him out. And we loudly warn that America is badly unprepared. Let the Cold War through, we need something new that can get you good and scared. you wonder just who is warning you of conspiracies today? We're the ones who fill the rumor mill. We are the sea.
2: All right, I'd like to thank the Exona Multiple Sc- Singings Choir for that last rendition. God bless you UFO. We're talking about the Travis Walton abduction case. Fact, fiction, or psychosis? Now, a few abduction reports have generated so much controversy as an incident that began on Wednesday, November 5th, 1975, in a remote area of East Central Arizona. More than four decades later, Exxon Nation, disputes still rage. But uh, to all but a very few combatants, the stakes seem high. If Travis Walton and the other participants are telling the truth, so it is assumed. UFOs exist. uh, UFO abductions are physical, not imaginary events. Joining me to help put some sense into this abduction case is a good friend of ours here at the Exxon and well-known and highly respected ufologist, Kevin Randall his blog spot is www.kevinrandallblogspot.com and he has a new book that is coming out very shortly entitled Roswell in the 21st century. Now, you know what kind of makes me wonder about the the, the Travis Walton case is that when he comes back 5 days later there is no proof within his Within his uh, chemical, uh, up, you know the chemical balance within his body that he actually went without food for five days. Number one, number two, instead of getting him to a medical facility or to law enforcement that had been looking for him for five days, his brother Dwayne decides to take him home to his mother's house, where he has a bath, changes clothes. And tries to eat food, but apparently that didn't work very well because he brought up everything. When he is dropped off by the UFO in Heber, Arizona at the gas station, he calls his brother-in-law, Neff, instead of his older brother, Dwayne, who has been doing all this work looking for him. And even Dwayne and Travis had an interest in UFOs. Dwayne, as well as the mother, have claimed multiple sightings. So what does this do to the credibility of the entire story?
0: All of that hurts it. But the thing that we have to remember is just because someone had an interest in UFOs mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they've created their own UFO sighting. True, true. Uh, because a lot of people uh, who have an interest in UFOs go outside and actually look. Right. And if you're out looking, you're more likely to see something than if you're not. So that kind of goes with without saying. The uh, chemical imbalances in his body is very worrisome. And, and it's something that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen that talked about in a number of different arenas that the um, ketones or something weren't yeah. uh, right for someone who had been without food, which you could say, well, maybe they fed him some kind of gruel while he uh, while he was on the ship and he just didn't remember it. Um, yeah, you know, and, and the reactions of people after they've been in a great deal of stress sometimes don't make sense to us. So I'm not that concerned about him calling the wrong person right. or what he did when he, when he got home. But the, the things that do worry me about this is, of course, the, the first failed polygraph. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need to point out that the, the, the polygrapher who uh, took an adverse reaction to Travis Walton didn't, didn't act in a very professional manner. True. He, he has taken two other polygraphs, which he passed.
2: But those the two other- polygraphs that he passed were with Cy Gilson instead of changing polygraph examiners, they went with the polygraph examiner that passed him. Now, you see, if that would have been me, I would have asked for a different polygraph examiner each and every time.
0: Yes, yes. But um, also, the other thing you have to remember, if you're paying for the polygraph test mm-hmm. uh, and, and the polygrapher knows the outcome that you're looking for, it may be that the, he would be reluctant to um, fail you because it might inhibit his payment in some fashion, but you know that that's worry that's worrisome. But on the other side of the coin, you have all the other guys who were with him on this adventure, right? Who who took polygraph tests and they all seem to have passed them,
2: right? But the question the questions Kevin weren't that, you know, that, that I can recall weren't that specific, and and something else that that bothered me when I really started digging into the case was the fact that um, you know he claims to have been shot back by this beam so many feet and yet when examined there were no bruises the only the only thing that he had on his body was in the inner side of an elbow what looked like to be an injection mark
0: yes and and that's a problem with this and we have we have all of these different problems. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to us in, in one arena. And you're looking at the guys who are with him. The other thing I was going to say about that not only had they passed the polygraph test, but in all these years, none of them have actually broken ranks with them. They've all sort of stuck together that this is what happened. Uh, I know Philip Class. Yeah. when he was doing it, he interviewed a fellow in a, named Steve, and his last name escapes me. And I've actually talked to the guy. Uh, about this and that, class kind of pressured him into uh, sort of refuting the the, um, the the story and also suggesting he would get ten thousand dollars if uh, he came out against the Travis Walton case or suggested some kind of a payday. So right. you've got Philip Class injecting himself in there, and the problem with Phil Class is that. He knows there's no alien, uh, alien visitation. Ergo, anything that suggests otherwise must be a hoax or a lie. So he brings his bias to the table as well.
2: But what about the fact that Travis Walton had a criminal record for burglary as well as forging stolen documents, paychecks?
0: I think that I find that irrelevant. Why? When you're looking, when you're looking at this, you're, uh, uh, they, were, they were done when he was a youngster. But mm-hmm. um, but it, but it juvenile, goes yeah. and a lot of a lot of juveniles do a lot of stupid things, and I'm not sure that his criminal record prior to the event is relevant because there's no criminal record after the event. It oh, doesn't suggest whoa, 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 a pattern of behavior oh. that that transpires this whole time frame.
2: Well, according to the online criminal checks, there you know he has a number of events that followed this event. It's not as if that once he had. This, uh, this uh, court case where he and his younger brother were found guilty. They had to pay restitution. They were put on two years probation. Now, that was the end of, of Travis Walton's criminal career. You know. But another part that I find very funny is the, is the state of the contract that Mike Rogers entered into with the U.S. Forestry Service. It was delinquent. They were behind. He was going to be in default.
0: And according according to what I've seen on that, it's that that really is irrelevant because the, all they had to do was call mm-hmm. and ask for an extension, and it would have been granted. They'd done it before. They'd had had problems with the contract and not meeting the deadlines, and had requested extensions on the contract, and they've been granted. Yeah. So I'm not sure that's a relevant point. Uh, when you when you move into the criminal records, that's a little bit more of a relevant point. And when you when you look at the uh, body chemistry. Mm-hmm. Of Travis Walton after the events, that's another point but that we, is very important. But
2: we all—it it has been discovered that Travis Walton did have a drug habit.
0: That is something that I had not heard. Now I've met Walton on a couple of mm-hmm. a couple of occasions, yeah, and and he's always seemed to been. Um, oh, I, I it doesn't seem to suggest any sort of drug. Problem with him, he's always seemed to be very, he's always dressed very nicely. Yes, he is. He always yeah. seems to be very, very uh,
2: personable. Oh, I, you know, like what I'm, what I'm saying here is that as, a, as a, you know, in the era where of the alleged abduction, he, you know, he, he had a substance abuse problem. Like this is, this was well known, and the fact that the, the chemical buildup. In his body, the inconsistency with the story, the inconsistency that when the police went to the, uh, to the, um, the three phone booths outside of the gas station in Heber, Arizona, they found no fingerprints of, of Walton's on the phone. You know, is it, is it possible that Walton, for some reason, perpetrated this hoax?
0: Oh, absolutely it's possible. Yeah. You know, if this is one of those cases uh, it, it, that, that it doesn't seem that there is a, a psychological mm-hmm. manifestation that would account for this. You've got other witnesses, uh, with six other people with him, suggesting there, there was this uh, object in the sky and this right. beam of light and all of that. So you've got one of two conclusions you can draw. It's either an alien abduction or it's a hoax. It in really fa- doesn't seem to be much middle ground there.
2: In fact, wasn't there a psychiatrist by the name of Rosenbaum who said that in his opinion, one of three psychiatrists who said that, based on his professional opinion, that Travis Walton believed that this happened, but in reality, it did not happen, that it was a psychosis?
0: Absolutely. And you can go to almost any Mm -hmm. one of these events because we're talking about alien visitation, and it's something that we cannot prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. You have a belief of alien abduction, and you have some interesting evidence suggesting there's alien visitation, but we cannot prove that they've actually been here. And so that when you get into some of these arenas and mm-hmm. some of the professionals they know there's no such thing as is alien uh, alien visitation ergo anything that suggests it must be some kind of psychosis delusion or hopes there's something else operating here they cannot process the idea that there's possibility of alien visitation
2: well there may not be alien visitation but there is a commercial break coming up with the news please stand by xo nation kevin randall is our guest this hour and we'll both be back on the other side of this break don't go away
1: great news
2: Welcome back everyone this is the X1. i am rob mcconnell my guest this hour is kevin randall we're discussing the travis walton case of november 5th 1975 after five days somewhere travis walton reappeared at a gas station outside of heber arizona he called up his brother-in-law and uh, the story from there goes into one of intrigue, questions, polygraph, law enforcement, uh, and a lot of questions over the years. Uh, now, something that, that has always struck me, Kevin, was that the Snowflake Town Marshal, Sanford Flake, was telling the press of his certainty that the whole story was a was a hoax staged by Travis and his brothers, Dwayne, to make some money. And later on... It was discovered that Travis Walton and his uh, crew received money from the National Enquirer. So, it doesn't look very good for them, does it?
0: I'm not sure that that makes much difference and here's why. Uh, the National Enquirer offered offered a reward for the best UFO report f- each year for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh Captain Coyne, who had the helicopter experience in Ohio, right, uh, also won the won the, the prize, uh, the five thousand dollars. So um, there's no way that they could guarantee they were going to win the prize for the best UFO case of, of the um, of the year by staging this this. So I'm not sure that's a, a really prime motive. Um, it's an interesting idea and might have played into mm-hmm. it, but I just don't see that as a, a the motivating factor. I, when I look at these sorts of things, and the one thing that we discovered, and when I say we, I mean Bill, uh, Bill Cohn, Russ Estes, and I, when we were doing the book on alien abductions, mm-hmm. was that the draw of the spotlight is a very powerful influence on people. That they get their fifteen minutes of fame, they get to be on TV. Now Travis Walton is uh, parlayed this adventure into sort of a lifetime way of making money. And I met him one time in Germany. We were there to speak to a UFO convention. I was talking about Roswell. He, of course, talking about his experience. Uh, I know that he goes to Roswell every... Or about every year yeah. for um, their festival down there and I know he gets speaking engagements literally all over the world Sure. so it has become a real boon for him and a number of his friends because they also get invited to do, I mean they were there they, they can talk about what their experiences were even sure. though they weren't abducted they were part of, of the whole story so uh, looking beyond the monetary aspect of it which is what I'm trying to do here, is I would think that the The motivation might be more that of of drawing the spotlight to them and having an opportunity to appear on television especially when you look back into the time frame you had an awful lot of people who had similar type experiences or having Mm -hmm. really good UFO sightings appearing on television both locally locally regionally and nationally so it's an opportunity to to see yourself on television
2: well, of course, and then they had fire in the sky, the movie that they made money from um, they were on like you said many television shows and including uh cnn's uh, Larry King, where they debated um philip class and and Philip just lost it and called Travis a goddamn liar right on air
0: yeah Philip wasn't would would tend tend to go off on tangents like that. he was on uh, a, a radio show with uh, um, um, Don Ecker. Yeah. And Ecker was talking about, they were talking about the 1952 Washington National sightings. And Ecker had said something about there had been attempted intercepts, the Air Force trying to intercept the UFOs. Mm-hmm. And class at that point just lost it and started screaming uh, an obscenity and then hu- uh, hung up on him well the, the record clearly shows that the air force did attempt to intercept the objects uh, you can debate what the objects were they were attempted intercepts right. and that's documented so philip class did that uh philip class unfortunately made stuff up and we i found a number of cases where he invented explanations hmm. or invented evidence to, to kind of explain them. And I say that having known Philip Clatz really, really well. I mean he took me sailing once on the Potomac River in a sailboat and, and things like that. So I, you know, I know him, I knew him well and uh, you know, I, I, I say with all honesty, he would make, he would make up stuff to uh, prove his point. So him calling Walton uh, a liar on Larry King is just right. really not great evidence.
2: All right, but what about when a psychiatrist, one of three psychiatrists that were brought in to examine, um, let me see, uh, Travis Walton said, um, but by, by my evaluation of the boy's story is that although he believes this is what happened, it was all in his own mind. I feel he suffered from a combination of imagination and amnesia and transitory psychosis. That he did go on a UFO, but simply was one, I'm sorry, that he did not go on a UFO, but was simply wandering around during this period of his disappearance.
0: And if I wanted to, I could probably find a psychiatrist who would say something evident. evident but these,
2: helped, but these were three psychiatrists who concurred on the same, on the same statement and the same prognosis.
0: But, but then we get, and this is the thing, the other thing that Phil Class was always saying, you know, we'll get these guys on a polygraph and see what they have to say. My point had always been, if you put them on a polygraph and they sincerely believed sure. the story they were telling, they were going to pass the polygraph. Didn't mean it happened.
2: That's right. It really
0: means they believed it happened, which is a whole different kettle of sure.
2: fish. Sure, and the questions that they yeah. were given from the polygraph examiner, Cy, uh, Cy Gilson, who worked for the Arizona Department of Public Safety, were, number one, do you did you cause Travis Walton any serious physical harm last Wednesday afternoon? Now, they just had to answer yes or no. Do you know if Travis Walton was physically injured by some other member of your work crew last Wednesday? Number three was, do you know if Travis Walton's body is buried or hidden somewhere in Turkey Springs area? And number four, did you tell the truth about actually seeing a ufo last wednesday when travis walton disappeared they were the questions all the members of the crew were asked and
0: and and because at that time they thought that they had murdered walton right hidden the body yeah but there obviously they hadn't done that
2: another question that 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 raises a red flag with me was that as soon you know? As soon as the UFO is there, Travis Walton runs out of the vehicle, goes beneath the UFO. Apparently, he's zapped by this beam. What does Roy, Mike Rogers do? He gets you know, he just turns around and hightails it out of there instead of staying around to to be with his friend.
0: Once again, I mean, you 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 you're having to figure out the the mentality. Mm-hmm of the people who were involved in this and what the situation, the high stress situation yeah. they're supposedly in would do to them. Uh, you know, and as a combat veteran, I know that people sometimes react without uh, thinking about it and, uh, and, and not in the bravest sense possible. So, you know, I, I if I was, I'd be, <laughs> I would be mad at my friend, for getting the hell out of there, not trying to, uh, to, to save me. But, You know, how many people run into the burning building as opposed to run from it? So, you know, you you can look at all of these things and we're trying to figure out what is the mental state of these guys in that specific situation at that specific time? Is this the reaction of normal people? And Mm -hmm. one of them is, yeah, it is the normal reaction of people to flee from danger. Uh, There's other people who run toward the danger to see what they can do to help. So. It doesn't say much about Mike Rogers.
2: It doesn't. It doesn't. And apparently, Mike Rogers was Travis Walton's best friend. And eventually, Travis Walton married Mike Rogers' sisters, Dana. But something else here. Everyone believes that every one of the crew passed the polygraph test. And that is not true. Dallas was inconclusive.
0: And... But that's not failing either.
2: It's not passing.
0: No, it's not. Well, yeah. You're putting me in a bizarre position here. because No, no I'm you know, just I, discussing this. I'm just discussing you know, this. I am just discussing know, i, I do not want to defend the case completely and yeah. totally because oh, I, I have that. great reservations about sure. it. And what I've said in the past is if alien abduction is taking place, mm-hmm. I would expect it to be more like the Walton case yeah. than these other things going on. But if you go back and you look at the abduction enigma in the yeah. book that I wrote with Estes and Cohn, we concluded that, that basically... The alien abduction phenomena is terrestrially based, meaning the causes are on Earth. Right. And so we can say, you know, as a psychiatrist did, that that Walton truly believes this abduction took place, mm-hmm. and then we have to determine was there actually an abduction? He exactly. sincerely believes it, but did it happen in the our shared reality?
2: All right. Let Let's put Travis Walton aside and and his case aside, and let's look at another famous abduction. Betty and Barney Hill. What is your take on that case?
0: Well, I know Catherine Martin very well. Yes. And we've talked many times. And she asked me once flat out, did I believe that Barney and Betty Hill were abducted? And I told her no. I think that if you're going to look at a prominent case Mm -hmm. that has broken down under research, this is going to be the one. There's an awful lot of things going on in their lives that brought a lot of stress and pressure to them, and Betty Hill actually wrote to NICAP after the supposed UFO sighting they had before right. the abduction scenario developed, saying that she would like to undergo hypnosis to find out what happened. It also looks like that that Barney Hill's memories were not nearly as robust as Betty Hill's, and that he usually sat in the sessions when the UFO investigators, not, not the psychiatrist. Uh, sessions. Mm-hmm. But when the UFO investigators uh, were were discussing this case, he, he was sitting there. He never seemed to come up with a bit of information on his own. It always seemed derived from something that Betty Hill had said. I think what happened there is they saw something uh, and it may be as the skeptics have suggested that it one of the planets, I think Jupiter was very bright at the time. And as they traveled along, they became more and more convinced that there was a flying saucer following them. Mm -hmm. And they would stop and look and stop and look so that they delayed their trip much longer than they thought they did. And when they got home, they were home, what, two or three hours later than they, they thought they were supposed to be. Right. And then Betty Hill allegedly had these dreams where she, uh, had the dreams of being abducted and that sort of thing, and I think this is kind of a shared delusion based on her dreams of what she perceived happened and her discussions up with UFO investigators and, and Barney Hill and he because he was a participant in part of it, meaning the uh, pacing of their car by delight, that they came to believe that they had been abducted by alien creatures, but I, I don't think I don't think they did. I think the the explanation is. Um, uh, shared delusion. But there's mm-hmm. something else. There's a Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode called um, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee.
2: Didn't they watch that prior to the... No, uh, no. Betty Hill
0: said they didn't watch those kind of shows, but in the book, mm-hmm. The Interrupted Journey... After after Barney Hill allegedly looks at the flying saucer with binoculars and sees the creatures behind him, she says to him, "Have you been watching Twilight Zone*?" Which I think is a very key thing. But the, the the creatures in *Hocus Pocus* and *Frisbee* look a lot more like what Barney Hill drew than the creatures in the Bolero Shield, which is an *Outer Limits* episode. The other thing is Betty Hill in that book; she's describing the aliens, talks about these big, uh. uh Jimmy Durante-type noses, these big, huge noses on the alien creatures, and those noses have since disappeared in the description. So there's a lot of problems with the Barney and Betty Hill case that suggest that it did not happen in reality.
2: One of the questions I had was that dress she was wearing. Why did she get rid of it, number one? Number two, apparently there were marks on the car. Why weren't there any photos taken?
0: I think we're looking back in 1963 when they, mm-hmm. when all of this started coming out in investigations, and people just were doing lousy investigations. The things that we would think to do today,
1: yeah.
0: um, they just didn't think to do back then. Uh, you know, these would be wonderful, wonderful bits of evidence uh, if if you could look at them. I also am reminded of a, of an incident that took place in Washington, where um, an article had come out about um, atomic testing. Maybe pitting windshields of cars back in the early 1950s, and suddenly there was this big wave of windshield pitting in uh, in Washington State, where they were talking about the, the, the radioactive fallout or the atomic testing causing the windshield pitting. Mm-hmm. And what it turned out to be is most people don't look at the windshield; they look through it. And when the sto- story came out, they started looking at the windshield and found the pitting, and assumed that it had to do with the atomic testing. So I think that's part of the problem we run in here, run into here.
2: Another part that, that I questioned was apparently Barney had a twenty two caliber revolver in his car at the time of the sighting. And apparently he was coming back from Canada. Now there's no mention of now as far as I know and even going back then you could not bring a firearm into Canada. So whether or not this plays into the credibility of the story or not is is just another offshoot. But there's something in that story that just doesn't ring true.
0: Well, let me ask you a question. Back in 1960, when Mm -hmm. this took place, wasn't the border much more open you know, I mean, I, I, yes. I remember as a kid yes. crossing into Canada a couple of times, and they well, just be, sort of, that, yeah, okay, go ahead.
2: That's because you always carried a beaver under your under your arm.
0: <laughs> well, but the last time I came to Canada, they stopped me going going into Canada. And they searched my car and really? searched me, and and they dragged me into the uh, the little office, and the guys on his computer, and he says, "Did you fly helicopters in Vietnam?" And I said, "Yes, I did." And I thought, "Oh, you just Googled me." So. <laughs> <laughs> And then to make it worse, going going home, I get stopped by American customs, and they do the same thing. Oh, you're kidding! I couldn't win.
2: Well, you see, you should have kept your little beaver with you. It's, it's as <laughs> you simple as that.
0: back in the United you know, they took my oranges away from me too that I had gotten in Canada. So,
2: oh yeah, they they do that. They do that. We do the same to the Americans coming over with with oranges. Apparently, it has something to do with the citrus citric acid or the fruit i don't know oranges that we, we buy our, we get our oranges from florida here in canada what the hell you figured yeah, there, out there you go they're
0: shipped yeah. in but boy if you've got one in your car you're in big trouble
2: I but kn- yeah
0: i i think you know in the 1960s things were a lot much easier. much
2: easier yes you're right
0: and 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 so i know that when i went to canada i uh did not take any weapon with me <laughs> But that's after 9 11, so.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, a few things have changed over the years, my yes, friend. Yes, yes. Kevin, you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. By the way, congratulations on your new book. Everyone that I know is just biting at the bit to get a copy to read it. It's going it's to be gonna a fantastic. Annoy per- them all. <laughs> all right, please stand by, Kevin. exonation Nation. Kevin Randall is our very special guest this hour. It's always great having Kevin on the show. Um, his blogspot is kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And the name of his new book that is coming out, when is it going to be released, Kevin? July 8th?
0: July 16th is the date they've given me. I don't know if that's going to be the exact date, but that's the date I've been given, and they haven't updated it since then.
2: All right, so July 16th, exone Nation. Mark it on your calendar. Make sure that you check all the online stores. The name of the book is Roswell in the 21st Century by our friend and our guest this hour, Kevin Randall. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour talking about alien abductions and much more. Don't go away. Back everyone, this is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and this brings us to the end of another show. And I'd like to thank all our guests, and I'd like to thank all the listeners around the world and our broadcast affiliates, satellite program providers, and each and every one of you for making this show starting to grow beyond our wildest dreams. So thank you, each and every one of you. My guest this hour is Kevin Randall, and he is the author of a book that is going to shake the world like he does, It's called Roswell in the 21st Century. The release date, as we know it right now, is July the 16th. And Kevin, it's always great having you with us. Congratulations on all your books and all that you do. So how would you like to wrap the alien abduction scenario up? Is there a way that we can tie it in a nice little neat package?
0: (laughs) Well, personally, I think that it's pretty much uh, terrestrially based. Right. That we don't have to look to the aliens to come up with answers. There's not one single answer that explains every alien abduction, mm-hmm. but the answers will all come back to uh, terrestrial uh, uh, things, terrestrial, terrestrial uh, explanations.
2: During the research that you've done over the years investigating UFOs, alien abductions, and much more, what is the, the key piece of evidence that has brought you to the conclusion that alien abductions are terrestrial based
0: it's a look at the uh, the people who were involved in the research the people who are conducting the hypnotic regression sessions Mm -hmm. and the way all of that is that is done it is similar to if you remember the satanic panic of uh what 25 years ago where we were talking about kids being uh uh, molested by satanists and all of this stuff going on and it turns out it all was based on the way the evidence was being gathered and the way the interviews were being conducted and i think when we look at the uh, alien abduction we have the same thing uh John Mack said that he thought it was curious that there was a matching between or among the the, the researcher and the abductionist, meaning that if you were Uh, Bob Hopkins you were getting cold calculating alien scientists if you were uh, David Jacobs you were getting the hybrids and the invasion of the planet if you were John Mack you were getting the uh, eastern philosophy of the alien creatures and he thought it was strange that the the abductees would be looking out the researchers that had the most that they came most closely to their point of view. And we flipped it around and said, don't you think maybe that the uh, the researchers influencing the uh, abductees under these reputed uh, sessions of hypnosis and influencing what they're saying. And then when, 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 a, when a witness or a, an abductee would say, I don't remember that, I can't go there. And they said, well, you can remember it. Let's go deeper and deeper down and come up with something. And they would, do, then they would do that to please the operator. And I think that's one of the keys that you've got the hypnotic regression sessions are actually influencing the, the, the philosophy of the abductee and what they tell the researcher that they have seen.
2: Kevin, I agree with you, and as always, my friend, time goes by so fast. Please don't be a stranger. Congratulations on your new book, and we all look forward to reading it, hopefully buying it online or at your local bookstore on July the 16th. The name of the book is Roswell in the 21st Century, and Kevin's blogspot is kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Until the next time we meet, my good friend, take care, and thanks very much, Kevin. Thank you. Well, that's it for tonight, Nation. I'll be back tomorrow night at 6 o'clock as, once again, we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exon To my studio producer, Craig Webb, my wife, the senior producer, uh, Laura Rogers, thank you all. Thank you to everyone listening tonight. And always, if you can, help somebody out. And don't forget, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone.